Is that goat cheese? Chevre. Yes, that is a goat cheese. Because I have a, a, a lactose reflux and I can't... You're lactose intolerant? Yeah, but or I can't... Or you have acid reflux. They're different things. I know what they are. So you misspoke. Well, thank you for correcting me. GIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer, TGIF. Man, it's good to be here on a Friday. Looking forward to our weekend. Hope you are too. I'm Gary Mans. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour if our luck holds up. And of course, if technologically speaking, we stay on the good side of the board with bad boy Benny Mathers. How are you today, Benny? Doing awesome and happy early Mother's Day to you too. I mean, if it wouldn't be for our mothers, we wouldn't be here today sitting, chatting about all the delicious goodness we have on the air, right? Absolutely. That's true. My mom passed away. We have an interesting story under our roof. Mm-hmm. My mom passed away in 2008. I miss her every day. Keep pictures around so I keep her close to me. My mother was born on December 2nd. Oh. And Suzanne, you have a story. My mother passed away on December 2nd. <laughs> so wow. every December 2nd, we honor our mothers. Gives we us- honor our mothers for two different reasons. <laughs> one coming in, one going out. Wow. <laughs> birthday in heaven as they say that's a popular term it yeah. most certainly is that is well I, I that's i mean how do you explain that really like other than how the, do you explain right? those kinds of ah, synchronicities yeah well and we and we understand from our friends in the mediumship world that uh those two have become friends on the other side so we are told because they're both yeah. looking in on us <laughs> i think that's great i love it i love it <laughs> Someone's got to keep a keep a uh, watchful eye out for you too. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> Just not in the shower. That's all. I yeah, say. there's there's boundaries. Okay, we got to work on the boundaries. <laughs> Today we are going to talk to Harriet Baskus. Yes, you heard me right. She is someone who has an eye and ear for the quirky side of the Pacific Northwest and probably elsewhere. She is an author. She's a lot of good things. And I've got this official stuff I need to read. Say all these nice official things. Mad this is her, props. Yeah. This is her second time on with us. The first time was a year ago on a Saturday. This, this time we're bringing her on on a Friday. Give her her mad props and let's bring her on, Gary. Harriet Baskus is the author of several travel books. And I understand there's another one in the pipeline including Oregon Curiosities, the definitive collection of the Beaver State's odd, wacky, and most offbeat people, places, and things, which essentially means Oregon. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And Washington Curiosities as well. That's going to take up some time today, as you might imagine. Harriet also is an award-winning public radio producer. For more than 20 years, her radio stories on unusual museums, airports, and other topics aired regularly on National Public Radio's All Things Considered and on other nationally distributed public radio programs. Always good to talk to somebody who's not only an author, but a radio poison. And in the form of Harriet Baskus, we have a golden guest today. Harriet, how are you, my dear? Oh, Harriet, are you there? You got to switch off the phone. I, I Okay, so here's what we had her on the phone, and then I moved her over to Zoom, and it says she's there. Ah. So let's see. Well, Hello, Harriet. Harriet, are you there? All right, what we're going to do is I'm going to call her yes. back on the phone. 
Okay. But she's Why don't we run our break now? And then no, in no, case, no. no, you don't want to. We're no. just going to sit here and yap. Okay, yeah, we're going to sit here that. and yap. Well, all is right. that okay? Care of all the technical stuff. Okay, let's do that. This should be our worst problem of the day. I, I mean, thought it was going to be <laughs> better than this, but that's okay. Technology will out. Technology. I just want to tell you why I'm looking forward to this day because you and I do like those kinds of oddities that we see when we're doing road traveling yes. when we have been in and around the seattle area when we've traveled in other parts of the country we like the quirky we like the things that are unusual whether they're man-made or they're natural it, it attracts attention you have to think about things you scratch your head a little bit and so uh we enjoy having harriet on because the first time she came on she talked from her book stuck at the airport and now this time she's going to talk about oddities in the Pacific Northwest. And accessible by car too. That's right. the neat part. And you you labeled this wired for weird today <laughs> in the yes. in the Pacific Northwest. And Harriet so. does not disappoint. All right. We've got so her now. Harriet, do you have us now? Yep, I hear you. Do you hear me? Mm -hmm. Yes, it's Great. wonderful. So Sorry happy to have you here and so happy to talk about this particular topic. So you wanted to talk about road trips versus flying first? Well, yeah. So why don't we go ahead and I will just uh, sort of grease the skids here <laughs> by bringing up that subject, Harriet, because I watched a news story. It was on, uh, I think it was actually on the Weather Channel a few days ago, and it was of some concern to me. I hope to, again, be among those who are the traveling public once we get through this pandemic to such a point that there aren't restrictions on our travel. Uh, both Suzanne and I are vaccinated completely, so we look forward to the happy day when we can jump in the car and go places, or we could choose to fly. But here's the thing, Harriet. Apparently, there are too many unruly passengers. They get on these airplanes. They don't want to wear the mask. That seems to be the chief gripe, especially if they're going to be in the air two or three hours, you know. And the flight crews are having a devil of a time getting these folks to comply. It gets to the point where police have to be brought up while they're still on the tarmac. And people are not complying and police will escort them off the plane, usually to a round of applause from relieved fellow passengers. And I'm saying to Suzanne, I'm not sure that this is really the way to go right now, because as a social issue, this persists, this wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Do we, don't we get vaccinated? And I would like to see that stuff settle down before I get on a plane. How do you feel? I totally agree. And I think this is um, before it became a federal mandate that you had to wear a mask. Airlines and flight attendants and airports were on their own to uh, establish and enforce that rule. So now it's a rule. It's a, it's a law, I guess. And it's just extended till September 13th, I think, the middle of September. And you said it's a too many. It's, I mean, one unruly passenger is too many, but um, I don't think it's a lot. But it's, if there's one or two and they're being um, obstinate about it, it ruins it for everyone. And there have been flights that have turned around, and the FAA is um, enforcing fines, and airlines are putting those people on their no fly list. And yeah, just part of, you know, if we're if we're all going to get through this, everyone has to do a couple of small things. So um, and remember, you've also got a lot of people who haven't flown in a long time. You got, you know, people, experienced travelers who are out of practice and you've got 
new people who may be flying because there were all those incredibly cheap fares for a little bit. And so you've got this mix, this cross-section of, like, uh, unknown travelers, I guess. And so it's up in the air. Get it? Where I look at this in terms of, okay, I know, that that was way too much laughter for that. (laughs) We need canned laughter for that. (laughs) There we go. Just call me Shecky. But if we we talk about getting on a plane, you just have to look at it in terms of the relative lack of probability that you're going to be witness to some incident. And I sure hope you wouldn't start one there. But that considered, I like the idea of getting in our vehicle. We've got an SUV and we can drive anywhere in the contiguous 48 states if we allow enough time and if we budget accordingly and see as much of what we want to see as possible. That takes me to my uh, the main thrust of our theme today, Harriet, which is if you're not flying, you're not talking about flyover states by definition because you're in your vehicle. And when you drive to this place, that place, it pays to know, and with the help of, of, of the kind of books that you have authored, to find out where are the offbeat places, the out-of-the-way places that you can visit to have a unique experience. Absolutely. I'm about to do my first road trip in, I guess, a year and a half, um, and I'm pretty excited, and I've been plotting my way um, over the last couple of days. So um, are you ready for one of my places? If you don't mind asking, I'd be curious to know what's on your road trip and where you're headed. Well, one of my, um, I just just realized um, last year down in Winlock, which is kind of southwest Washington, I'm going to do a trip from Seattle down to uh, below Portland. Um, the Winlock Egg Day Festival is back this year. Winlock used to be the egg capital of the world. And in the middle of this tiny little town, there's a 12-foot long uh, chicken, chicken, uh, egg, chicken and egg or chicken egg on top of a pedestal in the middle of town. And every year, except for last year, they had an egg day festival and they have an egg day parade and everybody ends up at the, I think it's the senior center of the high school and gets free egg salad sandwiches. And it's a celebration of the fact that it used to be the, used to be a lot of chicken farms in that area. So it's their hundredth anniversary this year in June and they're going to have that festival. So I'm pretty excited to go there, get my button. I'm wondering if there are other places in the country that would argue with the fact that they have the most eggs there. I mean, because there are plenty of agricultural towns across the United States, I would think somebody would say, oh, no, 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 we we have the most eggs. (laughs) Has someone taken the survey? They don't have it anymore. And they used used to be in the 20s. They were... Uh Like the, there's a little, there's a train station there, um, and every day or week, trains would stop and they would fill up um, train cars with chicken, little chicks and eggs to send all around the region and the country. So they, back in the 20s, um, were the egg capital of the world. They believe um, now, of course, that's somewhere else. But I love that they still celebrate that heritage. They have an egg um, queen and. Um, court that is in the parade and um it's just part of um celebrating their heritage i guess it is well that so sounds, i'm excited I, about it that sounds excellent yes 
We're going to have more puns this hour than a Batman episode. I can see that happening. Fortunately, there. Harriet, did you ever make the drive down I-5 on your way to Oregon? And of course, I'm begging the question because I'm sure you have to see the billboards, which I, I believe are still up. And if they're not, then uh, correct me. But the Hamilton Farms, there were always these strident political statements to which one could look forward on your way down to Oregon. Yes, I think that's still there. Um, I haven't, again, done that trip in a long time now, but um, it's, it's a little controversial um, people have tried to get it taken down in the past, but yeah, there's there's that. That's always entertaining. There's artwork along the highway. Um, I'm going to try and stop at the um, bonsai garden and next to the rhododendron garden um, in Federal Way. Um, I'm just I'm going to stop everywhere. <laughs> One of the places that we turned out that we most especially liked was where they had the trees of the United States. Do you remember, Gary? It's the Grove of the States. The Grove, Grove of, of the States. Yes. Right. A, a tree from every state. I mean, I'm surprised you could have some of those southern trees growing so far north. But well, and that's a part, yes, and that's yeah. an issue because that's south of Portland in the Charbonneau Forest District. There, you, the Grove of the States. The locals are very proud of it, as they should be. I've enjoyed walking around there, and, and way, way back when, when I had a couple of Yorkies, great place to walk a couple of dogs too. But the growth of the states at one time was almost pristine. It looked so beautiful. And as Suzanne just pointed out, you could see a palm tree from South Carolina there appropriate to the display. And it was exciting to see all the different foliage there. But something happened. I mean, these trees started dying off. And the last time I was there, it was rather disappointing because it seemed like the place needed a lot more attention. Yes, that's in. Um, that's funny you mentioned that um, because that's in Wilsonville, and that was going to be one of my stops. That's on the uh, south uh, north side, and um, over the years, um, they th when they planted that, they forgot or didn't think about the fact that some trees grow faster than others. Some trees that grow much bigger than others, and so some um, crowded out each other. Some, as you mentioned, kind of don't belong in the Northwest. They don't grow well here. And they were also having an anniversary a couple of years ago, and um, they were supposed to be refreshing and replanting many of those trees. So I'm looking forward to uh, kind of doing a spot visit and seeing how it came out with a better walking path and, and more uh, refreshed planting. But speaking well, of uh, roads, that's in a, in a rest area. One of my other favorite rest areas um, on I-5 going north from Seattle in the uh, Smoky Point rest stop. Um, there's one of my favorite things is this, the, what used to be a drive-through stop. It was a big attraction here in the, in the outside of Seattle and you could drive through this stump of, a, of an old uh, Douglas fir tree. Um, and now you can't drive through it anymore, but it's in the rest stop in Arlington, in the Smoky Point rest stop. It was big enough to drive through, but they don't let people drive through it anymore. So what do people do? Go and take their pictures there? You can walk into it. Yeah. Over the years, um, there are postcards. I have actually a whole collection of postcards of people with their, those, remember, cars used to be kind of bigger. Um, and, and now the stump has been uh, cut in half and moved, and somebody tried to set it on fire at some point, it looked like. So it's a little smaller 
and um, it's kind of propped up with a rebar inside. So it's a little smaller, but it's still kind of incredible when you think that this is just the stump of a of a tree. If you haven't if you haven't been around old growth, the fact that they had trees that big that would leave a stump this big as a souvenir. Um, but yeah, so I love that it's in the rest area there, so people can see it. The only ones I've seen that are of that size I've seen on television where they talk about the redwoods of California and they show photographs of, um, you know, people standing next to these really, really, really big trees. So um, old growth trees, very good. We're talking about some natural stuff, but one of the things we also wanted to talk was about oddities. And Gary and I were, were saying that there are so many great little things to see in and around Seattle that are, are very odd. And I'm wondering which of the ones you like to take people to when they come into town. Um, well, I love to take people to the Hatton Boots, which is in Georgetown, a little bit uh, south of downtown. Um, it used it in the 50s, I guess, was supposed to be at the entrance of a shopping center. But it is a giant hat and a giant pair of boots that was uh, at a gas station. And supposedly when Elvis was in town for the Seattle World's Fair in 1962, he supposedly stopped there um, in his Cadillac before he took a road trip um, to get some gas. But over the years, it kind of went, nobody took care of it. But finally, artists adopted it, and it got moved to a park in Georgetown. And it's beautiful. I visited it a couple of weeks ago, and it's the colors are bright, and it's now, you know, uh, protected by the neighborhood. So I always take people there because it's an unusual roadside attraction. I love that one. More? Including a 44-foot-wide 40, cowboy hat and 22-foot-high boots. <laughs> Great. And the boots, pretty in the big. old days, the boots were the restroom. So you can't, um, you can't go to the bathroom <laughs> in the boots anymore. But um, the, the first time I went to see it, after they had moved it, people were getting married under the hat. So it's very much oh. part of the community. I love that. Don't you think people really are attracted to things that are either bigger than life or smaller than life, either miniatures or giants? Absolutely. One thing, it's not in, right in Seattle, but in Spokane, the world's largest um, red, wa- red flyer wagon is in the park there. People love that, and you could slide down the handle. Um, in Granger, they've got giant dinosaurs all over town. In Zilla, they have the Teapot Dome gas station, which is kind of just odd, a little bigger than a teapot, but that's now right, um, that's also been protected and um brought to downtown and refurbished and it's just beautiful the teapot gas station i don't think it's it's now an information booth but it started life as a gas station i love those things in in long beach um that's a great road trip to take in the summer they have the world's largest frying pan there and a giant razor clam that squirts i think you can pay a quarter and have it squirt on command for you i love those things there used to be more of those out in the world and um, I just feel like we need to visit them and protect them while they're here. Long Beach itself, and it's appropriately named Long Beach. I think it's the longest uh, continuous stretch of sandy beach in America. I'd have to double check that, but it's, it's certainly on the list. There, when you have all of these oddities, isn't that where you go and, and see the alligator man? 
If you, yeah. Long Beach, it seems to they seem to pride themselves there on placing these oddities in a way that makes a statement about the quirkiness of the area itself. Yeah. So marches, marshes rather is that you can visit Jake the mer. It's like a Fiji mermaid type of um, creature. But yeah, people love that, and it's it's a reason. I think a lot a lot of times they made these things because so that people would have an excuse to go on a road trip. Um, maybe something for the kids, something you could visit each time and get your picture taken next to and things like that. And so that they could um, have a slogan, you know, home of the world's largest frying pan is a good one, I think. So. Well, don't they also have the world's largest pair of chopsticks? In Long Beach? I thought they did. I don't know. I must. I guess I have to go see. See, that's the great thing that we're always learning new things. I haven't seen that, but I will check that out. It's also the home of the Kite Museum is out there. Um, and they used, again, I'm not sure if they'll do it this year, but they have a kite festival every year where thousands of people go in on the beach and fly kites. Um, and they have some really teeny tiny, <laughs> we talked about very small things, teeny tiny kites inside the museum. So that's a great place. It's also connected to an event like the Egg Day. It's kind of, you've got something that that's there all year and then festivals that celebrate the history. All of that is great to see, and some of it. Now, we did talk about Teapot Dome there uh, briefly. This is a place that is in Zilla, and it harkens back to uh, scandal in high places before there was Watergate. The whole country was just repulsed by this crooked activity that went on. And um, it's commemorated, in so, in, at least artistically, by the presence of this structure out there. In Zilla, and I looked it up too, Harriet, Zilla is 162 miles by auto from Seattle. And I mention that because if you are somebody who wants to look at quirky art, to, to take a big step back, in Western Washington history, you certainly can do that, but you have to plan ahead because these places aren't concentrated. Some of them are, I suppose, but uh, most of what we see here, it goes yeah, quite they're a all range. spread out. Washington yeah. and then down into Oregon. Yeah. If you wanted to take that kind of road trip, you could design that for yourself. And you'd have to probably choose, well, am I gonna go that far out or am I gonna go north, south? There is a way in which you can navigate that suits your purposes for a quirky road trip, also keeping time and distance in mind. Right. And also these days, you know, COVID considerations. I mean, the first couple of road trips or day trips that we took from our house, I had to really plan the rest, the rest stops. Was I going to go into a public restroom or what were the rules in the different communities? Because different counties in both Oregon and Washington are at different phases. So some things are more open than others, but the outdoor ones are, are fine to go visit. So um, I'm, I'm happy to promote those. On my um, trip down to Oregon, I'm planning, besides Wilsonville, I'm planning to stop in Forest Grove and see the world's largest barber pole, which I haven't seen in a long time. I plan to stop in Hillsboro. Um, I don't know if, if we're all old enough, but A&W Rupier used to have these statues out front of a mom and a dad and a, and a kid. They were kind of big and round. Um, so outside the, I think it's like the swimming, the public swimming gymnasium, they've got a whole family of A&W root beer statues. So I want to go see them. Those might be the last left in the world. 
Um, and I'm also going to go to the Mount Angel Abbey Monastery Museum because they have the world's largest hairball on display there. Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> and, and was that coughed up by a cat? Yeah, or the largest cat in America? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love this hairball for many reasons. Wow. It's a four-and-a-half-pound hairball. Oh my. It was found in a meatpacking plant near Portland in the 1940s. And the meat inspector at that time declared it the largest hairball he'd ever seen. And I, the, the reason I love it also is because they brought, where did, what did they do with this? They brought it to the monks at the monastery museum um, to, to take care of. And when I, the first time I visited it, I was, of course, it was like, what's this about? And the, the monks said, it's all part of God's creation, hairballs and, <laughs> and everything. So... I, I think of it that way. But I, I just love it because it's been cared for since the 1940s. They've got a lot of natural history oddities in that um, museum, and it's also a beautiful place to walk around. So I'm going to stop there, too. Now, we did say oddities, and that really is yeah. odd because I'm wondering what kind of animal would have coughed that up. Oh, that was a hog. That was a hog. A hog. It was yeah. a hog? A hog. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, my wow. God. Harriet, you've yeah. got some amazing stories. <laughs> I know that uh, in terms of just travel and, and stopping places that you can't see every day, Suzanne and I decided we got crazy one week and we thought, let's go ahead and see if we can make this in one day and maximize our time in Reno in Ponderosa country. And so we left Bothell, where we lived at the time, and we drove down. It was well over 600 miles we covered in a day. It didn't set any records, so don't put up a museum. But we just <laughs> made this trip down through Oregon, seeing a lot of really neat places. And we stopped because we just got hungry at some point. Well, we don't know what's uh, coming up the next 50 miles or so, so let's eat now. And it was at an A&W restaurant <laughs> in Oregon, central Oregon, just off of I-5 where we were able to enjoy the burgers and the, and the root beer in a way that is just not possible for very many people today, unless they go there because A&W to us now, which I enjoy once in a while, makes a good mixer too, by the way, A&W root beers, which you buy 12 cans at a time in a box at your supermarket. Right. Rather than going to the drive-through. Right. Yeah. But, but you know, um, gosh, at, um, Changi Airport in Singapore, they opened um, a new, now it's been like three or four years, but they opened a, a new um, attraction um, with lots of stores and, and the world's largest indoor waterfall. Um, but one of the most popular things there is the A&W Root Bear Place. They have these stores where you can spend a lot of money on a lot of things, but the longest line was at the A&W Root Bear Store. I wow. think, um, it's an American thing that people in other countries still love. We I, like it. We, we've purchased it even lately. Diet root beer. A&W root beer, big in Singapore. That's yeah. anomalous. <laughs> at the airport. We're yeah. At the airport. We're talking to Harriet Vasquez, and we're going to talk to her some more on the other side of a short break. Lots of funky, quirky places you can visit if you're into that sort of thing. And a lot of us Americans are. We look for the roadside attractions, and a lot of those are built to be roadside attractions. And others have a more organic feel because they're a part of the community where they sprang up. 
Harriet Baskus is with us. Glad you are too. Give us a couple of minutes and more of Manson Mitchell right here at Seattle's home of oddities and other such talk, AM 1150. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world-famed, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is manceandmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Being a teenager is tough. There's the constant pressure to be liked. Endless worrying about college. Cyberbullying, high expectations, all the negativity. There's no question. Being a teenager is tough. And what do Washington's teens do when they want to block out the noise and clear their heads? We play! Research shows that teenagers who participate in high school sports have lower stress levels, more confidence, and greater self-esteem. And then there's the biggest benefit of all. High school sports are fun. Not just fun. They're a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Encourage your teenagers to participate in a sport or activity when they go to high school. They'll stress less and smile more. And they'll be laying the foundation for a happier, healthier future. This message presented by the Washington Interscholastic Activities Association and the Washington State Secondary Athletic Administrators Association. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcome Harriet Baskus, who talks about natural and man-made oddities for what we like to call Wired for Weird in the PNW. On Saturday, Hank Garrett returns with more stories from his book, From Harlem Hoodlum to Hollywood Heavyweight, including his role on Columbo and famous fist fight with Robert Redford. Bringing you mastery and mystery one hour at a time since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Organic, free-range, and fresh daily. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell, and we are talking with Harriet Baskets about oddities, both man-made and natural. Harriet, you um, last time you were on, we talked about your book, Stuck at the Airport. So I know that you have a variety of interests and I'd like you to tell our listeners about your books, your website, and anything else that you would like to share with them. Okay, sure. So um, I had a book called Stuck at the Airport. It came out um, eight weeks before 9-11. So even back then I was um, spending time at airports, but now I do a blog called Stuck at the Airport. Um, And so every day I just write about some interesting things at airports. Um, I wanted to write about the fact that 
the Jacksonville airport gives out roses or carnations on Mother's Day every year. They've been doing it for like 15 years. Um, but this year, because of COVID, they're not. And that's kind of sad. Um, I did, you talked at the beginning about some of my um, oddities books, Oregon Curiosities, Washington Curiosities. Those are out of print. That publisher um, isn't publishing those anymore. But I'm working right now on a new book. Um, it's part of a series called 111 things in whatever city you must not miss. So I'm doing the Seattle one and I'm learning a lot about my own town places. Um, I didn't know about or didn't think to go like Wedgwood rock, which is this 19 foot tall, 80 feet around rock. That's um, in a neighborhood in front of somebody's house. Um, and people go and climb it. And there's a law in the books that says you can't climb it. Um, because they'll fine you a hundred dollars. That's um, because hippies in the seventies, I guess, were climbing it. Um, and I have another book. My only book that's in print is called um, uh, "Hidden Treasures: uh, What Museums Can't or Won't Show You." So that follows the oddity thing because there's a lot of uh, things in the back rooms of museums that uh, people don't get to see for lots of different reasons. So that's kind well, of okay. much. That's my marketing. That's pitch. where we're at in this conversation. <laughs> then uh, I would, and of course, I'm just throwing it the impromptu, throwing this your way. But if people don't get to see certain things, and I think grossness would be one of the main reasons. Oh, you couldn't stomach that. Try me. There, what sorts of things? Mean, I've been to the old curiosity shop down on the waterfront. Don't tell me about yeah. handling gross stuff. When you go to, um, when you go to a place like that. How would you go about seeing that you found out about it? Did you go to a museum on a given occasion and say, listen, I'd like to take the, the back room tour or anything. If it's not a tour, at least let me have a peek at this or that thing that is rumored to be on the premises. Yeah. In fact, um, from doing the book, um, one at least one museum took out from the back room and put back on display the thing we, we featured in the book because people wanted to see it because they learned about it. And that was um, at the Children's Museum in, Indianap in Indianapolis. Um, it's a very, very big museum, and they're very into having families look at things together. And the thing we featured was a tiny um, dressed fleas in a walnut, and they had put it away because they said, you know, a family can't look at it all together. But because we talked about it, um, they took it out and made a new case for it. Um, but sometimes uh, museums don't put stuff on this display one because it's gross one sometimes because um, it may not be what they thought it was when they first brought it into the collection it may be politically incorrect now to put something on display that might have been collected before some things are too valuable um, some things are too dangerous um, the smithsonian has some of marie curie's radium which they won't put on they can't put on display things like that here, take a closer look at this radium here. Yes, you know. In fact, there. let me bring, and I certainly didn't intend to talk about this today, but I will. There are people who are fascinated by Nazi memorabilia. Now, they may or may not. I mean, people brought home war souvenirs and they were fighting Hitler, okay? So there, so there are people who are sympathetic to that very ugly cause and maybe they love the idea of having a genuine Nazi uh, souvenir. Other people are just souvenir hunters there. But that's the kind of thing. If I look at it from an energetic perspective, which on this station you hear about a lot, 
if I take the metaphysical point of view, which Suzanne and I do, I don't think I could ever be tempted to have a, a German war helmet, a Nazi medal, all of that, that, that horrible SS stuff with all of the associated imagery. I can't imagine myself having an impulse that I would ever honor by bringing that stuff into my home. But it's out there, whether it's underground, above ground, the kind of thing that you only see if somebody trusts you, that stuff exists too. I just don't know about finding it at any given museum. Have you ever seen anything like that, Harriet? Well, it's, that you remind me of an interesting story also that we put in the book. So at the Yakima, at the Historical Museum in Yakima, Washington, they have a very large quilt collection, a very um, well-known, highly regarded quilt collection. And if um, the, what we think of as the Nazi swastika, um, before it was the Nazi swastika, that same image, a little different, tilted, is is a, a symbol of good luck and hope in other cultures. And so they have a quilt that has that image in it multiple times. And it was part of a hope chest. It was part of um, a wedding thing. And, um, and every time they put that on display, people get upset um, in, because they don't, people don't read labels next to things. So they have to, how you interpret it and how you talk with the people who are coming is very important. So it's important to look at that quilt and understand what you're looking at. But some people, their initial reaction is, why do you have this? So, yeah, it's, it's stories like that. One of the most memorable museums that we ever went to, Gary, was in Miami Beach, Florida. <laughs> yes. It was, it was a sex museum. What did they call it? Um, let's see. I, I believe it was called, uh, the, uh, <laughs> you're going to try and make something up. No, no I thought, no, it was like the, uh, the erotic museum. Oh, erotic museum. It was interesting, Harriet, from one standpoint, I can't imagine they had anything in the back room because <laughs> they had room after room, after room, after room of, of sex from so many different angles. I mean, postcards and sculptures and paintings and statues and I just went from on and various on and on cultures. from uh, various parts of the world from Asian culture from Indian culture from all over and and it was it got to the point where you you were allowed to be shocked for the first minute but you spend an hour in there nothing shocks you after that point but I'm thinking, what would they have hidden in the back room? <laughs> that you couldn't look at, you know. <laughs> that you couldn't look at because it was all there to be looked at. Yes. And, and when you take the tour, it goes from front to back. <laughs> and once, you're, once you've completed that tour, you've seen some amazing stuff. Anybody who has seen A Clockwork Orange, if you remember the uh, notorious murder scene, well, there are three of those. They're phalluses. And one of them actually is in that museum. That was one of the three. I don't know why you need three. From the movie. Yeah, from the movie, the Stanley Kubrick classic, A Clockwork Orange. And there was the story behind the fashioning of this, this item. And um, along with many other things, there are stories. There are sex toys. I'll just put it that way. There are sex toys that go back hundreds of years to South America. 
and they were unearthed on various archaeological expeditions. So those things actually existed as well. Right. So um, that also reminds me of the Smithsonian. Um, in their science, it's all kind of um, the context that you present some things. At the Smithsonian, they've got a very large collection of condoms from all cultures. Um, in their collection. It's part of the medical and science collection. Um, but they also collect it for the um, great images that are on and names that are on some of the packages. But they don't put that on display because it's yes. a national, you know, national museum. Well, now, Benny is informing us. Now, another reason to go to Las Vegas. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like there aren't enough, there aren't reasons, enough reasons, go, reasons right. already there. But there is an erotic heritage museum in Las Vegas. Imagine that. Yeah, right. Go oh, figure that one. Yeah. No, I was in the other room, and I thought that's what you were looking for. So I ran back in, and I was like, typing, no, that's the wrong, wrong one. I guess there's more than one. So, I mean, you can't go wrong with it. Yeah. I lived in Las <laughs> Vegas for five years, and I would have visited that place if I knew it existed. So it must be a relatively recent vintage. I haven't been there. Well, between but, that, now, we, Suzanne, we, I don't know when we're going to get to Las Vegas, but if we're going to be looking for oddities, that would be one. And uh, I want to take the dispensary tour. Do you know that uh, the world's largest such facility, it's owned by one of the tribes in that region, and you actually can walk through it and see manifold exhibits of the various forms of cannabis and how it's grown in the industry so it becomes a museum tour in its own right outside of las vegas you drive out there and plan to spend a couple of hours at least though it may seem like a lot longer when you're there but you go to that place and you get this tour sponsored by this particular tribe i forget their name and uh, that's one more thing you can do. When you hit the road, Harriet, now we've been talking about Washington, a little bit of Oregon, but when you go anywhere, this, I guess, is the, the whole moral of the story here or immoral of the story. And it is that wherever you go, if you know where to look and you plan accordingly, you can see places that offer something unique. They're way off beat, but they are all the more intriguing for being so strange, so offbeat. Exactly. And often if you um, do some research, and a lot of these are, are run by just a person, um, the places I love the most are people whose collections kind of get out of hand, and then they have to declare it a museum to either um, keep their marriage intact or get it out of the house. Um, and so often they're not, open, <laughs> they're not open very often. But if you call ahead or email ahead, those people would be happy to open them for you. And I find that in a lot of small towns driving around um, Oregon and Washington, even the historical, the little historical museums or the pioneer museums, they may, their hours might be Wednesdays from one to three when there's a volunteer yeah. available. But if you call ahead, someone will run over and open it up for you because they're so proud of their local uh, resources. I've noticed that when we've traveled, Harriet, is that there will be signs and very, very, very limited hours. So you really have to, uh, you know, want to see that particular thing to uh, be at the time and the place that they're open when they keep it so, so limited. But I think um, I'm, I'm flashing on this time when um, I stopped in, I think it was Waterville, um, and I knew that they had a meteorite in there. And we showed up and the, the door was locked and I called the number on the door and I could see somebody like down the street, leave their house and come down to open it for me. I mean, that's 
that's how small and easy it was um, to make that connection. So don't give up if the, if the sign says closed and you really want to see what's inside. I wanted to go to another place while time is allowing us here, Harriet. For fans of Sven Gulli, this this is for you. There is a rubber chicken museum at Archie McPhee in Seattle's Wallingford neighborhood. I've never been there. Tell us about that, Harriet. Well, Archie McPhee is known worldwide um, as a place that's just full of um, kind of funny souvenirs and quirky stuff and things you didn't know you needed, um, bins of, of things, um, chicken uh, and and rubber chickens is something that's like uh, a funny thing we think of as like funny things like but they they have um, elevated rubber chickens um, to a whole collection and they've got like 150 um, rubber chickens from the world's largest rubber chicken which is over seven feet tall to the tiniest which you need to look at under a magnifying glass and it's in the back of the store and if you make it if you don't get distracted by all the um, other souvenirs um, and in the store, um, you can get to the museum and it's free admission. It's just like the back of the store. And they have um, rubber chickens um, that were on TV that were props for magicians and, and other and clowns and uh, JP Patches. If you know from um, Seattle's history, he was a TV, um, a kid's TV God here in Seattle. Um, and it's just, you can learn about the role of the rubber chicken in popular culture. And so it's like, again, you don't, you think of something, it's just a thing, but then once it's a museum, um, you see where it fits into popular culture. So um, I had, I had never gotten um, that far in the back of the store. I always got distracted by the toys and the other things. So um, that's someplace I just visited for the first time uh, this past year. That is something I definitely want to check out. What's in Greenwood? You know, you see, if you're in and around Seattle, you gotta you gotta go see these places. You have an opportunity. For example, the famous Greenwood pencil box. Yeah. What's that? Well, this um, this has been transformed, and um, and I'm so glad that it's open. They were going to close it. It used to be um, the Greenwood Space Supply Company, and it was. Um, it was, I, I want to say a front, but it was the, the way to get people to come in and learn about um, writing and creative writing, and they raised money to support um, writing programs for kids. And then that closed. But in there, they had a, a spaceship type thing where you could walk into this round kind of room. It was like a connector between the front room to the back, and it was like you were going in a spaceship to a new space. So that went away but now it's called the greenwood pencil box the same concept they they sell some great art supplies um, but they also have programs um, for kids to do creative writing and get help with their homework and the spaceship that you would walk into from one space to another is now a giant pencil you can walk into the pencil and go to a new space um, and in the front of the uh, storefront they've got a bright red um, selector typewriter with a, a never-ending piece of type paper, typing paper in there, so people can come in and write a story. You know, those, it's almost like a telephone. Like one person writes a line, and then another person writes a line. They've got that going all the time in there. So it's very much a community uh, project and a community center, and a great place to buy art supplies, both 
if you really like pens and pencils and and uh, colored <laughs> markers. But also hands-on. Like well, yeah, Suzanne yeah. will never let me go in there, as a matter of fact, <laughs> no. with my yeah. pen fetish. What is it with you people today on this show? Fetishes. <laughs> There, yes, I have collected pens. And you know what's what's sad about that, Harriet, and all listening? There is something probably that you like to collect that doesn't have a lot of utility in the 21st century. And I can tell you that as many pens as I own, I could have my own museum, various shapes and sizes. Some of them are artistic. Some of them are just util. And so I hold on to them. And I don't know why sometimes, because I have used a keyboard many times a day for so long now that my penmanship, which was never anything to brag about, has gotten to the point where I shouldn't even try. You know, the old stereotype about how doctors scrawl on a prescription pad, that puts my penmanship to shame. <laughs> and now with all these pens I have, I wonder what use I have for them because this is the age of the keyboard. But it's interesting to see how Things can be collected and and their significance in society reaches way back in American culture. That's right. Some some museums are like dedicated to things that um, like young people don't recognize. So in Seattle, there's a communications museum um, that has a lot of telephones in there um, and kids don't know what they're looking at when they see a rotary telephone or even a telephone that you know was new when I was a kid the buttons <laughs> on the telephone so have um, you seen the videos online that are popping up though like some of the parents and grandparents are telling the grandchildren <laughs> or children to try to use it oh they're hilarious <laughs> they're like I heard you're supposed to pick it up and then they'd set it down next to it. And they're like, I think you're supposed to turn it. Like, I don't. It is baffling knowing that that was our upbringing, too. And then uh, actually, it's funny. My girlfriend and I were talking about telephones in general, how we used to have the, the, the telephone that was on the wall. Right. Yes. Right. And it was the cord that went all the way down to the bottom of the floor. So then you yep. could like wrap it all the way down and around the corners so that you could have a, uh, more of a private conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah. You could walk anywhere with that uh, long cord. Those are the great days. I, I don't know if they still exist or not, but there were at least a few restaurants that were trendy at one time. But by one time, I mean 20 or 25 years ago. It would be great to go to one. I never got to one. But they would have these rotary phones <laughs> set up at tables in a nice restaurant mm -hmm. so that you could call between tables what yeah i thought oh, what a great idea do you know up. about one of those harriet yes i'm so glad you brought that up because in this communication museum is one of the first phones like that it was, they call it the first wireless phone because oh. they would you see it in movies they bring the phone over to your table you have a phone call oh, yeah. and for the world's fair for the rotating museum, the, I'm sorry, the rotating restaurant at the top of the Space Needle, they couldn't have phones that plugged in. So they, somebody invented um, what was one of the first wireless phones. So they, and that's in the museum. So they would bring over a phone to your table and think about that the World's Fair and you could call someone from the top of the Space Needle and say, guess where I am? I love that. So futuristic. That's yeah, great. That's yeah. Great. that would just be one of Very those experiences exciting. you would never forget. Yeah, exactly. that is wonderful. We've got about three minutes here, Harriet. So I wanted to do this and, and as much to honor them as, as anything there. You gave us a list. Number eight's a biggie. Fisherman's Memorial. 
I know about Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco. I've been there and they're having to do a lot of rebuilding after a major fire, unfortunately. Hopefully it'll be back better than ever. But Seattle has a maritime history, as we all know, and there is a Fisherman's Memorial. Yes, and this is actually not too far from where I live, but um, Ballard in Seattle is the home of the um, North Pacific Fishing Fleet. And fishing, um, a lot of the people who fish from here, the boats go up to Alaska and they do it's very dangerous waters. And over the last hundred years, um, they've lost a lot of boats and a lot of fisher, fishers, men and women, on those boats. And at the Fisherman's Terminal, there's a memorial set up which um, has the names of the ships um, that have gone down and the names of the people um, who a lot, they say, you know, if a, if a boat goes down, you don't have the bodies. So the, so the, this is the memorial to those, um, to the people who are lost at sea. And so if you go there, um, you can go there anytime. There's a big um, statue of a fisherman um, and, and it has a lot of sea, sea images on it. And then there's a, a wall which has the names decade by decade of the of the boats that have gone down and the people who were lost on those um, ships. And um, people leave things there. It's, it's very um, heartbreaking. I want to say heartwarming, but it's heartbreaking often to see the things that people leave there. And once a year they do um, a, a ceremony for the for all those people and the people, sadly, who might be lost in the past year. So that, again, they didn't do that last year. They'll do it again. I'm pretty sure they'll do it this year. So um, it's a nice place to be. And then the, the Fisherman's Terminal is just a nice place to walk around because there, it's a working shipyard. So you see boats being worked on. You see um, boats getting ready to go out um, for fishing. Um, and so it's a nice place to learn about um, the maritime heritage from here. And that a very is, nice memorial. Too. It, it is. I love yeah. the idea. And the Seattle Fisherman's Memorial is located between docks seven and eight. Yeah. Not, it's hard to miss once you walk down there. So. Well, that, that's a blessing. I, I am very impressed by that. I'm thankful that it exists. I'm thankful that you exist, Harriet. You go finding all this stuff and you tell us about it. A you, lot of fun. You've got your book coming. Is the working title... 111 places in Seattle you must not miss. Is that going to yeah. be it? Yes, yeah, going to be it. And it should come out next, well, next year about this time. So I'm happy to be writing it. If not before, we'll talk to you then, Harriet Vasquez. 111 places in Seattle you must not miss. Not out yet. It's coming within the next year. And we absolutely want you back to talk about that worthy edition. Thank you for being with us today, Harriet. Thank you. Next it's always fun. Good. Next up, we have the Christine Upchurch Show. That's a good time waiting to happen. It is, followed by the Susan Harmon Experience. And after that, American Road Trip Talk with host Gary Mance. Stay tuned whenever you can to AM 1150. Love to have you with us. Have a great weekend, everyone.